Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's focus for Friday, May the 19th, 2023, at 1.46 p.m. Central Time. Now, the original goal was to do this today's focus broadcast at about 10.30 a.m. It's now 1.46 p.m., so is it better late than never, or is it just better never than late? I I don't know. I I guess only you can decide. After this broadcast is over, you're like, you know what? It would have probably been better never than late. You know, it would have been just better you skip it. But I can't skip it because it's, it's part two, right? If you do a part one, someone out there made a rule that you have to do a part two, right? Or you have to go change your title from part one and remove that, right? So if you do a part one, you have to do a part two, and that part two was scheduled to happen today. So here we are, today's focus. Your today's focus is the great de-churching or the de-churched. We haven't really decided exactly which term we want to use. I mean, they're they're obviously referencing the same thing. The de-churched, that are those individuals who have, well, experienced the great de-churching. They have been, they have de-churched. They have disconnected themselves from the church and they now are called the de-churched. And the de-churching is a phenomenon that's been going on now for a little while. And, um, well, people are starting to really, really study it. Uh, people are now, you know, trying to put together academic studies, and we have been, well, we, we introduced this and we started our own discussion about the phenomenon and trying to understand it. So I'm going to do a quick review, get us on the same page. Remember, we are reviewing an episode of a podcast produced by the Gospel Coalition because they've dedicated, As in Heaven is the name of the podcast, and they're dedicating this entire season of their podcast to de-churching. The Great Dechurching. And a book is coming out this summer called The Great Dechurching. So I'm going to remind you of some of my initial th- my initial comments. I'll remind you of the book. I will remind you of the podcast. And then we will continue our review, analysis, and critique of their perspective on The Great Dechurching. I did receive a very lengthy email today of someone offering their perspective on dechurching. I um and, and maybe at some point we'll work through some of their comments and work through some of their email because I think it, it could be it could add a different perspective. I think everyone I knew this is what was going to happen. Once people once the email started coming in, everyone would have very different perspectives on the cause of the dechurching and what the answer is to the dechurching. So um yeah, it, it'll be interesting. But my initial thoughts were this. No one can deny, no one can deny a de-churching is taking place. No one can deny that more and more people are leaving the church. More and more. Church attendance is down. Church attendance is not consistent. People are leaving the church and they're not coming back. That is the reality of the world in which we live in 2023. That's a fact. Everyone seems to be in agreement with that. The causes, not agreement. Good thing, bad thing, not agreement. Like there's there's all kinds of disagreements there, but everyone can agree something is happening. And I said that I believe the American church, and I believe this to be, do- I, I, I will say this dogmatically, this is not one of my just like, you know, crazy theories or one of my hypotheses. This isn't what I believe to be factual. The church is undergoing a major shift, a major transition. And I don't think we're going to really know what, what the church is going to look like. I think it's going to take about five years. Somewhere between now and five years, the church is, I think, going to emerge from this transition, and we're going to look at it, and we're going to be like, okay, this is now where we are. But we're in the process right now. We're in the middle of a great shift that is, I think, now being proven statistically, factually, and and I don't think there's any way to get around it. So I talked about five things. Number one, the political hijacking of the church. As the church becomes more and more politically hijacked, more and more people are going to be de-churched. They're going to de-church. They're going to go through the de-churching because they don't want to be going to the Republican Party, you know, South Side campus. They don't want to be going to the Democrat South, you know, North Side campus. They want to, they want to go to church 
not a political institution, and the church has become more and more politicized. The church has been politically hijacked, and and many people, not all, in some cases, the political hijacking will attract some to the church, but it's going to push others out of the church, which you're going to see a transition that the church and who is there is going to look completely different because you're going to now have a more politically energized, politically um, motivated, politically ideologically driven church than one that is more theologically and biblically driven. And I think that's what we're slowly seeing in some cases. Second, I think there's just a spiritual apathy that is set in all, all across the United States of America and in churches and in the lives of Christians everywhere. And we could blame all the reasons for the spiritual apathy. We could say the spiritual apathy is because people become politically driven and not spiritually driven. It could be because we live in a world where there's 9 billion distractions. Whatever the case, there is a spiritual apathy. Number three, well, there is distraction, okay? There is distraction, and we've got so much available to us, and we're focused on so many things. We're fo- fo- focused on fighting culture wars or whatever. The church has become distracted. We clearly have declining church attendance. Now, declining church attendance, look, this is how it works. First, you have a church, and everyone shows up to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, like, you know, and we, we talked about this in part one, that that's my experience most of my Christian life. Whoever was at Sunday school was at the Sunday morning service. Whoever was at Sunday morning service was at the Sunday night service. Whoever was at the Sunday night service was at the Wednesday service. I The first time I encountered something radically different was the second fundamental Baptist church I attended in Nebraska. This one was located in Bellevue, Nebraska. And all of a sudden, I'm like, the, the difference between Sunday morning and Wednesday was so startling that I, for the first time, took notice. Like Before that, I just assumed if you go to church, you're there every time the door is open. Like, I never... I didn't have anyone telling me that as what I was supposed to do. I'm just like, oh, I'm a Christian now. I go to church, right? I never, I never called it into question. Well, so something obviously started changing and that has only gotten worse and worse and worse. Well, here's what happens. If you start, if you stop attending all the time, you cut your attendance in say half. Well, then it's not that much to drop another service. And then it's not much to drop another service until finally you've completely de-churched yourself. You didn't, you didn't stop maybe believing in Christ. You maybe didn't even stop loving and pursuing the things of God. You've just slowly but surely de-churched yourself almost just by default. So we have declining church attendance and then we've got tech technology. Technological changes and advances are making, giving people more and more options versus the local church. And those are some things, I'm not saying all of those 100% contribute to de-churching. I'm saying those are issues that have to be discussed. Those are issues that have to be talked about. We cannot ignore those realities. All right. So those are some of my initial comments. Then I told you about the book. I'm grabbing my iPad really quick. We told you about the book. The book will be coming out in uh, a couple of months. It's called The Great De-Churching. Who's Leaving? Why are they going and what will it take to bring them back by Jim Davis, Michael Graham and Ryan P. Burge. It is 2429, The Great Dechurching, and here is a little bit um, about the book. In The Great Dechurching, Jim Davis, Michael Graham, uh, uh, along with renowned sociologist Dr. Ryan Burge, examined the largest and most comprehensive study of dechurching. So this is really... This is an academic, rigorous, peer-reviewed study that they have really done research into the whole de-churching phenomenon. This is probably the most, this is the most comprehensive one that has ever been done. Whether you agree with why de-churching is happening or how to interpret it, at least you can, I challenge you to get the book so you at least have the statistics in front of you that have been peer-reviewed, examined carefully so that you can at least see what is happening. Not everyone's going to interpret what is happening the right way. What we need to do is at least come to an agreement about what is happening. And this is important. This is what this was kind of their hypothesis. This is kind of their thesis that we are undergoing the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history. That was their hypothesis. That was their thesis. And they set out to prove that. And they feel dogmatically, scientifically, factually, data-driven, they have proven 
that we are undergoing the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history, and you're living through it, and I'm living through it. How do we interpret that? What do we do about it? That's where that's what we may have to figure out. But we need to understand that we are encountering right now in 2023, the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history. And so they did the study to drill down to exactly why people are de-churching with respect to beliefs, behavior, and belonging. And just a quick reminder, when we talk about de-churching, we have to figure out of all the people who are de-churching, who have de-churched. We have to figure out how many of those people have left the church, but they still love God. They love studying the Bible. They're hungry for theology, doctrine. They, they are still pursuing Christ. Like that their zeal for Christ has not diminished, but they are done with the church. Because we have to then figure out, wait a minute, how do we address these individuals? Now, some will just say they just need to be rebuked and said, come back to the church. But they may look at the church and go, come back to that you're out of your mind. I'm not. I'm saying we, we, we have to figure out because if, if it's people who have left Christianity, they've just said, forget Christ, forget the church, forget the Bible, forget it all. I'm done with it all. That's, that's one thing. If let's say 40 million, let's say 30 million have just said we're done with Christianity, but there's 10 million out there who's starving and hungry and want the word of God. Well, then that's 10 million people we at least need to figure out how to minister to. So there, there's a lot of statistics we need to understand. All right. Uh, so again, the name of the book, The Great Dechurching, I could read more about it, but I don't want to spend, I don't want to spend uh, more time doing that. Look up the book, The Great Dechurching, uh, Jim Davis, Michael Graham, Ryan P. Burge, order your copy today. I don't get any money from it. All right. This is not a way for me to make any money. We're not selling it. You can find it at lifeway.com. You can find it at uh, Amazon. I'm assuming Christian book distributors will be selling it. Let's, let's, let's get a copy and we will probably be giving away some copies uh, coming up. All right. So there's that. Then we, uh, we have been reviewing a podcast episode again from um, As in Heaven from the Gospel Coalition. If you go to the gospelcoalition.org, you can look up their podcast. And this one is uh, dated May the 10th, 2023. Why are the de-churched in America? Who are the de-churched in America? And why did they leave? Here is the description. In this episode, Jim Davis welcomes guests Ryan Burge and Michael Graham, all authors of the book, right? To discuss the de-churched in America. Who are they and why did they leave? They discuss detailed insights about the 40 million adult Americans who have de-churched in the last 30 years. In 30 years, 40 million people have walked away from the church. 40 million people. Now, I typically see two responses to this kind of discussion. One, you say, they're not saved. Who cares? Let's move on. Or two, okay, maybe some of them weren't saved, but maybe we should look at this as an opportunity to, I don't know, look at the church, look at maybe what we're doing wrong, maybe looking at what we're doing right, maybe looking at why they left, maybe trying to figure out something. Some is just like, it's, they went out from among us because they were never of us. Forget them. You can do that or you can go, well, maybe that's, that maybe that is the case for some. Maybe the church, something is inherent. Maybe, maybe there's something seriously wrong inside the church. 40 million people. That number is staggering to me. I had to read that like 10 times to even believe it was true. So we're going to go back to the podcast and we're going to just do a little bit more review. I don't know how much of this we're going to review. You can go listen to the whole thing for yourself. You should, sub to, you should subscribe to As It Is In Heaven podcast. As In Heaven. Hang on. Let me get the exact name. I don't want to lead you on a wild goose chase. As In Heaven. As In Heaven podcast from the Gospel Coalition. You should subscribe to their podcast. You should listen to it. You should listen to their entire season on de-churching. You may agree. You may disagree. If you are listening to their entire season and you think there's a specific comment or a specific statement or a specific segment 
that we should also review, analyze, or discuss. Just tell me which episode and give me the timestamp. I will download it, fast forward to that timestamp, and then we can talk about it in future episodes here as well. All right. And if it's something you think you want to hear discussed, you know, some, some further discussion on, maybe from a different perspective, because we know that I typically provide a radically different perspective than others. But are you ready to get back to this? All right. That gets us all on the same page. Sorry it took 15 minutes. Here we go. Let's jump back in. One thing that was fascinating to me that I, I credit you with in the very beginning of these conversations, we we found some data and you pointed out, but we don't know the science behind it. They're, they're not telling you how they came to these conclusions, which is a big deal. Not only not only is your science publicly available, it has it's impressive to me the way it's gone through this academically peer-reviewed process. So it's just been a really fun, again, sociology, science, not my background. This has been a fun season to be a learner in how we get the data that we have. So you talked about these clusters. Mike, you took these clusters with Ryan, and then you were able to develop six profiles. Six These six clusters, these profiles emerged from the data very clearly. You know, it wasn't like we tried to create these clusters. The, the, the algorithm the machine learning showed us these clusters. And, and we want to spend the rest of our time here in uh, greater detail talking about each of these six profiles one at a time that emerged. So, Mike, can you briefly tell us about these six, six profiles one at a time? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to cover. So of the six profiles, there's four different types of dechurched evangelicals. And then we also have a, a mainline de-church profile and a Catholic de-church profile. Um, it's important to note that this is going to be an extremely high-altitude sketch for the sake of brevity, for the sake of this interview. Uh, we go into much more detail um, in our book, The Great De-Churching, on this. So, um, so first off, um, evangelicals comprised 15 million of the 40 million people who have um, – of de-churched adult Americans. Okay, so you may want to be writing these notes down. Out of the 40 million people, 40 million have de-churched. I'm writing this down myself. 40 million have de-churched. 15 million are evangelical, are evangelical. All right. If you if you take good notes, please send them to me, because right now, if you looked at what I'm writing, I'm scribbling. So I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to read what I'm writing down. But by writing it down, it helps me remember it. OK, so 40 million dechurched, 15 million are evangelical. All right. Now, if people left the Catholic Church, well, if you if we reject the Catholic faith as a false gospel, which obviously it's a completely different gospel than what I teach. It's completely a different gospel than what I preach. I mean, there's there's no way their gospel and my gospel are the same thing or radically 100% difference. You're just, uh, in Catholicism, you're justified by an infused righteousness. I believe in an imputed righteousness. Like it's not the same any way, shape or form. So we would not be obviously as concerned by, in fact, we, we may even perceive it a good thing. All these people left the Catholic Church. Great. Where are they? Where did they go? Because obviously we'd want to see how we could reach them. Now, the people who left mainline, mainstream denominations, many of them are so liberal, so apostate that we once again may go, that's a good thing. They left these mainline, mainstream denominations that are possibly so liberal, so apostate that that could be a good thing. Where did those people go? Then we've got the 15 million evangelicals. So the, the first two categories could be like seen as a good thing. Now, all the evangelicals who left the church, the evangelical church, that's where we would be like, wait a minute. That would probably include, because evangelical is a very broad term now, not used to really, it used to be to define more of a theological position. Now it's just a general term that kind of is like, there's the Protestants, there's the evangelicals, right? Because if you, if you ask an independent fundamental Baptist, are you an evangelical? They'd be like, absolutely not. The independent fundamental Baptists have been standing against the evangelical movement since the 1800s. Like, you know, like they, they, they were like, no, the term evangelical represents this approach to Christianity. Like you, you can get into all of those debates. But I think in a general way, just they're just lumping everyone else 
as evangelical, which could include your church, my church. You know, and even though nobody would really call my church an, an evangelical church in the truest sense of the word, right? Uh, in other words, the evangelical movement as it started and as it grew, just in a general way, then we would be considered evangelical. So we have to define our terms here. But 15 million. Now, out of that 15 million, what what is interest to me, the Catholics and the people who left liberal apostate denominations, okay, they need to be, you. they need the gospel, they need salvation. Those who left the evangelical churches, the 15 million, out of that 15 million, how many of those are, they stopped going to church, but they're reading their Bible, listening to sermons, pursuing Christ, trying to live out their Christian faith. But they, for, for some reason, they just decided they don't like the church, hate the church, whatever the case may be. That group is the group that fascinates me because the rest possibly left Christianity. Well, then they just need to be evangelized. So I'm really looking at the person who left, but is just as committed to Christ as they've ever were. In fact, some may claim they're doing better spiritually than they ever did when they went to church. I've heard that statement way too many times. So we we have to really think about. So 40 million left, de-churched, 15 million were evangelicals. And out of that 15 million, that's the profiles I, I want. And let's see. And there's four profiles for the evangelicals. Um, here. So this profile is um, the first profile of the de-churched evangelicals is a little over half of the group, about 8 million people. We called this first group of the four de-churched evangelical groups cultural Christians because it's unclear. Okay, 8 million, 8 million cultural Christians. Okay, now cultural Christian, I think we are all going to agree. If 8 million left, right, 8 million walked out and they're cultural Christians, meaning there probably was never any true saving faith of any kind. In other words, their faith, it was just a cultural thing. They were, they grew up in it. They were raised in it. There was never a personal conversion. There was, they were never born again. They never put their faith in Christ. They made a, made a profession, but it was just like, Mom and dad do this. I go to church. I was raised in a Christian home. Great grandpappy was a pastor. Whatever the case may be, it's it was just a cultural thing. And at some point, they're like, I, I, I don't care about any of this. And they moved on. They moved on. All right. Now, those 8 million, we would say they need the gospel. They need salvation. Now, they may be hostile t- towards it. They may be cold to it. They may be dead to it just because... They left, and they may have left with very negative impressions. They may have left very frustrated. They may even have left hurt. Because listen, just think about this. If you, now I I want you to hear this. If you are someone who goes to church, but you don't really, you're, you're not really connected to Christ. You really have not put your faith in Christ. You're really not pursuing him. You're really not pursuing the truths of Christianity. You're just going to church. Sooner or later, the church is going to stab you in the back. Sooner or later, the church is going to let you down. Sooner or later, the church is going to hurt you. And if you really, you don't really have anything connected to Christ and the truth of Christianity. You just have a cultural connection to the church. Once the church lets you down, you're going to walk away and you know, and, and, and you can't blame someone. I mean, their, their Christianity basically is church. It's not Christ. It is church. It's, it's those relationships. It's that, it's that institution. And, and, and they're going to stay connected to the institution depending on how they feel about the institution. It's far different being a cultural Christian committed to church versus a true Christian committed to Christ. Because if you're a true Christian committed to Christ, you may walk away from the church, but you will never walk away from Christ. So they got the 8 million out of the 15 million evangelicals, 8 million were cultural Christians. All right, that's a, that's a staggering number. All right. Now we could ask, why were there so many cultural Christians? Why? Well, I don't know if there's ever going to be a, some people say, well, you didn't tell them to repent enough or, or you didn't, we didn't, we didn't put them through a 17 point test when they claim to be a Christian. Like some people think that's the way to fix it. And I don't think that's ever going to be the true way to fix it. Listen, 
you have a child, they're born in a Christian home, they're raised in a Christian home, they're go- look, you know the way it's going to work. They're going to be like, we believe in God, I love Jesus. Yeah, they're going to say, they're just going to culturally adapt to it because that's what they know. And they will until they reach a certain point. They even may, may make the profession of faith, but it's a cultural profession. It's not a legit, and, and we'll say, well, I asked them the right questions. Well, of course they know the right questions. They grew up in church. Sooner or later, you'll find out if it's cultural or if it's something more. All right, so let, let's continue. How many of these people in this group are actually Christians? Um, the the extent to which that there is an understanding of just basic Nicene Creed Christianity is relatively low. So uh, this is why we've called this group um, cultural Christians. This group was 58% male with an average age of 40 years old, high marriage rates, high education, high income, 98% white. They're center-left politically, while at the same time, they're not critical of racial issues in America. They're not critical of January 6th, and they're not critical of Putin or Russia's invasion of Ukraine. This group had the lowest orthodoxy score of any of the groups um, on very basic matters of uh, Christian beliefs. This would be things like the Trinity, divinity of Jesus, humanity of Jesus, sinlessness of Jesus, the atonement the resurrection of Jesus, and the reliability of the Bible. So only 1%, 1% of this group believe the statement, Jesus is the Son of God. Only... Wow. Only 1% of that 8 million believe the statement, Jesus is the Son of God. That is... Clearly, this group is is cultural Christians. Clearly... These these Christians have have no connection to historical biblical Orthodox Christianity for whatever reason. You could blame the church. Well, I mean, we can put blame all day, but just remember that it, there, you're always going to have some level of this because kids are raised in a Christian home and they just adopt Christianity because it's culturally what you do in your home. They go to they go to church with other kids who adopt Christianity. They may go to a Christian school. They may be in homeschool where they go to homeschool group with other kids who have adopted Christianity. It's like it's their culture. There's no way to get around the cultural acceptance of Christianity in those situations. All right. Let, let's see what else. Wow. That, I mean, this group clearly, clearly this group is, we, I think we're getting an idea. 22% of this group believe the statement, the Bible is the literal word of God. So the group decided to leave the church for a, a reasons primarily of inconvenience because they moved, because their friends weren't going, or because they wanted greater sexual freedom. On average, they left around age uh, 29. This would be around 2011 in terms of the average age of when they left. And what is interesting is that more than half of them are actually still willing to come back. So I imagine many in this group didn't have a very substantive church experience and the inertia of life, career, money, kids, and work hard, play hard mentality ultimately won the day for them. Um, The reasons are largely relational in wanting to make new friends, uh, loneliness or a friend or spouse that invites them or they moved and they want to get plugged into a new community in terms of reasons that they might want to come back. So that's the first category of culture. Now, I would have to dig into a little bit more of that, but but possible reasons to come back is they want to get plugged into a new community. Now, see, that's a red flag to me. Right. Look, hey, these people never really had any connection to Christianity, but they're willing to come back. See, after so after they leave, maybe get a little bit of the sexual freedom they want. They get to, you know, play hard. They get to have a little bit of life. And then all of a sudden they start feeling lonely. They feel disconnected. And then they want to possibly come back for community. They want to they want to get plugged into a new community. They want friends. Oh, boy, that's such a red flag to me. That's such a red flag to me because now you have people coming back to church, not for Christ, not for theology, not for spirituality, 
but for quote unquote community, that, that, that word that sometimes drives me crazy. And this is the reason it drives me crazy is the way it gets you. They want to get plugged into a new community. No, you don't come to, get to church to get plugged into a new community. You come to church to be discipled. You come to church to be equipped. You come to church to hear the word of God preach. You come to church and, and it, but that's, that's why churches, the churches who seem to provide the community, provide the friendship, provide the relationship, those tend to always thrive because there's always these millions of people out there who will come to church for that. If you can give them that sense of community, that sense of relationship, and they can meet friends and you can give them a little bit of activity, they will be more than happy to plug back into church. Now, you may see that as a positive thing. See, now your your perspective may be, well, great. They come for the community. They come for the friendship. They come for the relationship. And we'll ultimately give them Jesus. And we will ultimately get them into the Bible. And we will ultimately get them to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And we will ultimately help them. So some people say, give them what they need to get them in and then we'll give them what, what we'll, we'll give them what they want. I should say, let's state it that way. And then we'll ultimately give them what we need. But I think what typically happens is the minute you try to start giving them what they need, they may get very frustrated because they're there for this other thing. I don't know. You, you can determine how you want it to do. I guess my approach would be like, no, I'm not going to give you all of that stuff. My church is going to be about the preaching and proclamation of God's word. We're not going to do all of those other things, which always typically ticks people off, especially as they get, as they reach around that age, once they get into their twenties, they're no longer teenagers. So they've lost that connection with all of their teenage friends. All of their friends have now kind of grown up and they're, they're off doing their own thing. So they're kind of feel disconnected. And then they start looking to the church going, well, we need to do more. We just come to church and say hi. And everybody goes, we need, we, and you can almost start seeing what they're, they're looking for that, that sense of community and that sense of relationship. And I'm like, so what do you, what would you like to do? Get together and sit around and talk about feelings? Or would you want to get around and study God's word? Well, I mean, we'll study God's word, but you can immediately sense what they're really looking for is some, some like, hey, everyone, we've got to meet together so we can all make, become friends, right? Like they almost need like something to help facilitate what they are longing for. Like it, they, they're not long, they're longing for this kind of relationship kind of thing. So I don't know. You you that one is a red flag to me. Hey, they left because they were simply cultural Christians. They want to possibly come back because loneliness and they feel they want to get plugged into a community. That oh, I don't know. You you interpret that yourself. You may not see a problem. I see a problem, but of course I see a problem because I just kind of refuse to play church that way. When people come to my church, if they want to join, I'm like, look, let me just explain. The only thing I have to offer to you, the only thing is the teaching of God's word. We're going to go in depth. We're going to raise questions. We're going to study. We're going to struggle. We're going to go in. If you're wanting something else, this is not the church for you. I always try to say that to any potential church member. This is all I have to, if you're looking for anything else, Go somewhere. I will, I will drive you to the other places. In fact, all you have to do is pick any church around us within a 500 mile radius and they will give you all the other things. That, that's, that's my thoughts. Troll Christians among de-churched evangelicals. All right, so Ryan, what when you think about the cultural Christians in this first group, what else stood out to you about this group, and what are some things that struck you as ways that either the churches themselves or church persons can better relate to this group? Yeah, the one thing that I think is really, really easily overlooked in American you know, public discourse about politics and religion is there are people in America who are left of center, but not far left of center, you know, center left kind of people like I would say like Bill Clinton Democrats who, you know, that kind of is like an endangered species, especially in the online discourse, because it's almost always like far left people versus far right people. There are a lot of people on issues, you know, let's say abortion where they're like, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of abortion, but I should, you know, I favor abortion on demand in the first trimester. That's the kind of group that this group is. 
right? They're not super, super liberal on, you know, issues of sexuality. They're sort of, you know, moderate in the middle. They might be left of center on economic issues. And we sort of overlook those kind of old school Democrats, you know, especially in the discourse is always, well, they left because they're woke. These people are decidedly not woke on these issues. They're just a little bit um, more liberal on these issues than, say, like your mainstream evangelical. And isn't it fascinating in a, in a conversation about de-churching, political dialogue, political language comes into play. And isn't it, and it, and it the case that anytime someone possibly leaves the church, someone will say, they're woke, they're liberal. And, and, atta- and isn't it amazing now that sometimes when you leave a church, you are attacked not on theological grounds, You're not even attacked using biblical language. You are attacked and labeled with political terminology and cultural terminology. If that doesn't tell you how jacked up the church has become, I don't know what will. I've never, if someone leaves the church, I've never thought, well, they're woke. I never thought, well, they're a liberal Democrat. I don't care their politics. I literally don't care who they vote for. It's, I don't care. What I need to know is, do you want to hear the word of God preach? Are you willing to struggle with the word of God? Are you willing to dig in? Or, okay, you don't want what we have to offer? You're free to go. I'm not going to sit there and label you anything. I, clearly, what we offer is not what you want. Great, go. But it's just amazing that even in de-churching, well, okay, they're not, they're not woke. They're kind of like liberal Democrats, right? Okay, it's just funny that that the political, uh, the political comes into play here. And it's interesting they feel like they're pushed out of church. You know, they don't feel they don't fit in the evangelical community because their politics are just slightly or, or moderately to the left. Um, that group. It's a very um, now there we have it. Now. These are cultural Christians, so I'm more than willing to acknowledge that most of these people are probably not even saved. But if anyone, I don't care cultural Christian, I don't care how many different clusters and groups you come up with in the discussion of de-churching, if anyone is driven out of the church or feel unwelcomed because of political issues, the church has lost the plot, The church is the one responsible for that because it's not supposed to be, oh, if to be welcomed here, you need to have a make America great uh, hat on. You need a Trump flag and we're going to stand up and stand, you know, stand for the national anthem and we're going to do politics and, and patriot patriotism. No, that, that's not what the church is supposed to be pushing, promoting. The church is like, you know what? We don't care about your politics. We're here to preach Christ and him crucified. Let's study God's word. Now, I think at some point studying God's word and digging into God's word and being discipled may impact how you perceive cultural issues or political issues, but it's not a political political issue. It's a biblical and theological issue and how you apply that. And do you want to force a biblical standard upon unregenerate people? That That's the issue where it comes down to. But people driven or pushed out of a church because they un- they feel uncomfortable because of politics, man that that means the church that the the, the church is prom- pushing a political agenda more than they are a theological. What I want to hear is that many people left because of theological issues. Then you're like, okay, now we can draw a line in the sand and say we cannot compromise on these theological issues. If it's political issues. I've been, what did, what, what did I put number one on my list? The political hijacking of the church. That was the very first thing I wrote down, remember? White group, you know, which evangelicalism, at least the way that a lot of people understand it, it's a, it's a largely white phenomenon. Um, they are also indicating, despite the fact they have pretty decent incomes, that their mental health isn't great. Um, things like depression, loneliness, anxiety, um, a really shocking high level of suicidal thoughts, which anything above you know one percent on suicidal thoughts is obviously you know disturbing to us. But levels that we would you know typically income kind of tamps those things down. Having more money makes you less depressed, less anxious, less lonely. That's not happening with this group. Now that's weird. This group has high levels, or at least increased levels, or, or how can we say it? 
there's there's a large number of this group with suicidal thoughts, with depression, anxiety. This fits perfectly with our mental health series that we've been working on. Now, I wonder, is church contributing to that mental health issue? Now, you could argue maybe it's a lack. Of, they're, they're not really Christians. So if you're not really a Christian, if you're just think about how this can mess your mental health. If you're not really putting your faith in Christ, but you're kind of a cultural Christian, but you found yourself in this kind of Christian world, I don't know what that would do for one's mental health. You've identified with Christianity, but you may not really be feeling your connection to Christ, but then you're trying to live this life apart from really a faith in Christ. That would be maddening and depressing, and you would feel trapped and maybe even suicidal. I, I don't know. That's that's interesting. This group is all over the place. I really think this group from um, just a sociological and pastoral perspective is they need a sincere community to feel like they're a part of. You know, they've checked the boxes in terms of education and income. They've done pretty well in the SES factors, but they don't have a, a sense of belonging, a sense of togetherness. Now, here we go. Now, here we go. So now, to, no, now remember what he says, what they need is a sense of community. No, if you identify cultural Christians as only 1% can agree with the statement, Jesus is the son of God. They don't need community. They need conversion. They don't need community. They need Christ. They don't need community. They need salvation. Like, that's insane to me. They need it. They need, so the church needs to provide them a sense of community. No, I'm so sick of us feeling like we've got to provide everyone a sense of community and relationship. That's... This is, this is where you minister to their felt needs, not to what they actually need. This is their felt needs. I need a sense of community. Well, come here. We'll give you a sense of community. We'll put you in a little small group. You can have some friends. We'll, we'll, we'll send you on a camping trip. We'll, we'll send you on a hunting and fishing. Ladies, we'll send you on a shopping trip. You can be in a quilting club. What? See? Friends. Friends. Now you feel that great warmth that comes from friendship. There, that's all you needed. I, I am not a fan of this approach. I am not a fan of that approach. The sense that they fit into a community, and they also don't have a very strong doctrine. Um, they don't have they they weren't discipled well, you know, from an academic standpoint. They don't have a real you know solid foundation of what we would consider traditional evangelical doctrines. So I think a little bit more, you know. Sermons that kind of focus on more, you know, deep dives on theological issues would be a good idea for this kind of group. If this group doesn't even believe Jesus is the son of God or that the Bible is literally the word of God, if they don't believe that, if they reject that, which does, their statistics clearly indicate a full-blown rejection of it, do they need more doctrine? They need salvation, so he says, here's what this group needs. This group who doesn't believe Jesus is the son of God needs community and doctrine. No, this group needs Christ and conversion. <laughs> okay. And then, you know, just better engagement from the church, especially amongst young professionals and young families. That's when those groups, and I know personally, when we had young kids, I was the most lonely I felt in my life because I felt like we couldn't take them anywhere because they were, you know, they were getting in trouble all the time. They couldn't sit down. Churches are ideal places for people like that. And this cluster, a large number of this cluster fits into that group of people. They need a church to find a way to bridge that gap between their lonely island they live on, maybe with their little kids, and the church, which can provide all this help and support in you know spiritual and social formation, which it seems like. And social formation. And he's going to say, and it seems like, let's see what he's going to say. And it seems like. They need. So. And it seems like they need, they need social formation. Now, please tell me where in the church, where in the Bible does the church is called to social formation and community and friendship and to take care of people's loneliness? Aren't we to point them to Christ? So, so this is what this is telling me. Christ isn't sufficient. Christ isn't enough. Now, I thought Christianity constantly says Christ is sufficient and is enough. Clearly, he's not. Now, maybe Christ is not even anywhere close to enough because these people don't even believe he's the son of God and they don't believe the Bible is the word of God. So then what? 
hey, hey guys, look, hey, there's all these lost people out there. They need social formation. They need friendship. They need companionship. They need to, we need to remove their loneliness by providing them activities and chances to get to know people. Where I'm just having a hard time comparing that with Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, I can understand feelings of loneliness, but is it the church's job to fix that? Is it the church is church's job? Now, you would hope if they come to church. See, this is the way I've always envisioned it. And I know people think I'm crazy. You come to church for Christ. You come to church for, you know, doctrine and theology. Now, while you're there, there's going to be people around you, right? There's going to be people around you and you can walk up and go, hello, my name is so-and-so. What's your name? Hey guys, would y'all like to come over to our house one evening for dinner? Hey, would you like to come over? And then you get together and you hang out. And if you, if there's a friendship, great. And if there's not a friendship, then next week you go to another person, go, hi, my name is so-and-so. And I don't know, you make friends, <laughs> right? Like you, you don't need the church to do that for you. You don't need to go, Hey, okay, come here. What's your name? Your name is John. Okay. His name is Stephen. Stephen, this is John. John, this is Stephen. John doesn't have any friends. Stephen doesn't have any friends. Y'all would be good friends. Like that, I don't feel like that's the church's job. What I believe John and Stephen need are, is scripture, theology, doctrine, and, and, and how to live out the Christian life according to scripture. They're saying, hey, there's this entire segment. Eight million of these people who are cultural Christians. We don't even know if they're saved. We know that only 1% of them can even agree with the idea that Jesus is the son of God. Only like 22% can say the Bible's the literal literal word of God. This, This group, we don't even know if they're converted. But what the church should do with these individuals is we've got to provide them friends. We got to provide them a sense of community. And then I guess we're supposed to give them sound doctrine. Let's give these unregenerate people some sound doctrine. Well, I think they need Christ. Now, obviously, sound doctrine should always be preached and should always be taught. But if you're running around spending half your time trying to provide a sense of community and and giving them friends and giving them activities, I don't know when you're going to have time to really dig into doctrine and theology. You know, one of the things that we've... I didn't come up with this term. It's kind of just out there. Um, churches that are labeled Coldplay in a TED Talk. And that sounds more probably mean than I mean it to. But what I'm hearing from you is a large part of this group might, you know, and, and the heart in, in that that vein is is to be open and have people come in. But what I'm hearing you say is that kind of church that doesn't go deeper could also be contributing to the problem. Is Is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, I think that's, I mean, if you look at the day and even, you know, this data source in Ligonier Ministries does like a, a deep dive in evangelical theology. And you see that very few people have like a consistent theological grounding, um, you know, about things like the Trinity, about things like the divinity of Jesus, about what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ really meant. A lot of churches aren't doing a lot of deep dives into those kind of things. And it seems like, you know, a lot of churches are growing because they're preaching these superficial messages that almost seem like motivational speeches with a little Bible verses sprinkled throughout. And those those do well for a group of people. There's no doubt about it. That's drawing in a lot of people. But also there's other unmet needs amongst these other groups of people who would like a little bit more meat, you know, like a, a deeper dive into theological issues and discussion of, you know, orthodox theology over time. Okay, I'm, I'm going to start losing my temper here. I'm going to start losing my temper. All right, I'm going to lose my temper. Okay, I got I to gotta take a deep breath. <sighs> breathe. I have to breathe. I have to breathe. Okay. For years, I spent my life yelling and screaming that the church was a joke, 
that it doesn't go deep. It doesn't teach doctrine. It doesn't teach theology. And that all the biblical illiteracy and the theological illiteracy is the sole responsibility of the local church because the local church won't do more. And it's garbage. And you need to leave those churches and you need to find a good church that will. I scream that. But I transitioned out of that way of thinking years ago. And now I'm like, I am sick and tired of hearing Christians whine about that when they have access to every systematic theology that's ever been written, the words of every church father that's ever been written. They've got devotionals, study guides, sermons, uh, Christian podcasts. They've got lectures from seminaries, lectures from Bible colleges. They are drowning in doctrine and theology. They are drowning in materials. They are drowning in resources. You can get a Kindle and for probably $15, you have pretty much, you know, everything ever written in church history. You can literally, you can go to monergism.com and they've got, I don't even know how many books available for free. You can go to Sermons 2.0 app and you've got what, 2 million, 3 million sermons available to you on every passage of scripture. There is, you've got, you've got, you, you can, you can, you have, forget a buffet. I don't even know what we call it. It's more than a buffet. You're, you're living in the land of plenty. You're living in a land where there is so much available and it's still like, well, they're, they're the, they're, the church, the church is not doing its job. The church is not doing its job. Look, because you, you can sit there and try to preach and teach and then people will leave because they don't like what you preach and teach. Or the people, you can't even get the people to participate in what you try to give them. Hey, here's a resource. Hey, here's a resource here. And then nobody does anything. And then you're like, well, what's the point of even trying? It's 2023. Those people, if they're doctrinal and theologically illiterate, it's because they've chosen to be doctrinal and theologically illiterate. There was a time I may be like, you know, well, you know, it's not like everyone can go to the Christian bookstore and buy this and buy the. Now it's like you just name what you want and it's there. It's in there's PDFs of it. There's I mean, it's everywhere. You can go to the library and check anything out. You can you can doubt you can. I mean, look, you have access to so much. It's not even funny. We've talked about all the things that we've had. It's insane. It's insane. Like if I go to. If I just, let me, let me see, if I just go to, like, I, I'm having a, I have a hard time with this. I used to be such an, in line with this way of thinking, but I have grown so tired of it. I have grown so tired of it. Right? If I just go to sermon audio and I go to, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want? Uh, let's see here. Okay, newest. I'm just going to go to audio. Newest. There are 4,810 sermons that have been added in the last week. 4,810 sermons on one website, sermonaudio.com. 4,810 sermons added in the last week. You couldn't even listen to all of them if that's all you did 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm not going to put up with this that, oh, well, they, these churches are just, you know, cold play and a TED talk, you know, these weak churches. And so you've got all of these, this, this group of people who, well, they don't even believe Jesus is the son of God, but they, they just need a church that will go a little deeper. And then how deep do you go? Because as soon, because I've been accused, I can remember being accused back in the early 2000s. Your church is not a church. It's a seminary. It's, you're just, it's ridiculous how deep you go. I've had people leave because I go too deep. I have people leave because, so what what do people want? Well, you got to go deep, but don't go too deep, right? Don't be a TED talk, but don't be a seminary. Oh, 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 but you got to provide community and friendship and activity. And you got to make sure everybody's holding hands singing Kumbaya. For, For 8 million people who supposedly, I guess they don't know how to use a phone or an app to get all of the doctrine and theology that they supposedly need. So it's the church's fault. But at the same time, what they really need is friendship. What they really need is social formation. What they really, oh, oh, by the way, they don't even believe Jesus is the son of God. But I guess they, what they need is a theology class. 
I mean, this this is absurdity to me. This is just ridiculous to me. Now, you're, you may perceive it completely different. You may, you may be like, okay, I know exactly now how to reach these people. All right, we're gonna, I'm going to get us a social formation uh, director, uh, a, a director of social formation. They'll start planning the activities. We're going to give these people a sense of community, and then we're going to do some theology classes, and we're going to help these 8 million people. And maybe you're, you will do it the right way, and maybe I will be proven to be some, some fool. And I got no problem admitting that. I know my perspective on this is radically. Look, I used to be so right there. The church is failing. The church is letting people down. And then you work hour after hour trying to say, hey, here's, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Now there's always those people who will participate, right? Like with the Bible study exercises that we do, there are those people who will jump right in and participate. They're emailing, they're doing homework. They're right there. But then there's, if I look at the numbers and how many I never even hear from, maybe they're participating. I would highly, I bet you 50% don't even participate. Now, that's fine. I don't care if they participate. I just don't want them to hear. I don't want to hear later that, well, you know, I couldn't be fed spiritually, you know, because nobody was feeding me. and There was just no spiritual food. That, I, I'm tired of the church being blamed for that. I'm tired. I'm tired of that. Nobody was feeding me in the local church, and I figured out as a teenager without the internet how to go to a bookstore, buy books, go to the public library, go to three university libraries, get all the books I could want, figured, found a book on how to study the Bible, taught myself the Bible study methods, and then you made use of what the technology that was available to me then was Christian radio, and there were three pastors, Swindoll, Chuck Smith, and John MacArthur, and grabbed, bought three notebooks and three separate pencils and listen and took notes. And nobody had to tell me to do that. Now, that's not because I'm more spiritual. Listen, no, no, no. I was, I was more unspiritual. I was arrogant, prideful, ungodly, struggling with all kinds of sins. I am by no means justified saying that I was spiritual. What I'm saying is if an unspiritual teenager could figure it out, I'm sick and tired of people saying, they're just not being fed. They just, they're just, they're just, they just, they're starving for this kind of stuff. Oh, give me a break. Give me an absolute. Break. You gotta be joking me. You gotta be kidding me, right? It's, it's almost like sitting, someone walking into the Golden Corral, sitting on the floor, going, "I'm starving. I'm starving. I'm gonna die." And you're like, "But there's all this food." Yeah, but you need to go get it to me. Bring it to me and sit on the floor with me and go. Here comes the choo-choo train. Open wide. Choo-choo, choo-choo, choo. And then you, and then put the little spoon in their mouth and then wipe their mouth. Uh, give me a break. Just give me a break. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that wasn't the best illustration to you, but that's what it feels like in 2023. Come on now. Come on. 4,810 sermons added in the, in the last week. Okay, someone's laughing at me now. Okay, someone in chat is laughing at me. Okay, maybe that wasn't the best, but you can hear my frustration. 4,810 sermons added to sermon audio in the last week. And I, and I probably can ask questions about how many sermons are, are uh, on average added to sermon audio. I could, I bet you, I, I may even try to, I may try to get that number. I may try to get that number because I'm telling you, it's ridiculous. The Edify Christian Podcast app, I think they, they, they uh, advertise 2 million Christian podcasts. Oh, come on. Who knows how many episodes per day that is? Come on now. Come on. It's just ridiculous, man. It's just ridiculous. I can go to, I can go to, let me see here. I, I mean, I'm, I know I'm on a roll now because now I'm just like on a full-blown rant. But okay, if I go to monergism, i got someone honking their horn at me down uh, on the street. Probably like, would you shut up up there? We're trying to work. Okay. Um, if I go to monergism, free eBooks, uh, they have, it looks like 201 PDF files of books. Like you've got things like, this is monergism.com, their free book section. Oh no, 900 plus free eBooks listed alphabetically by author. 
right? So you have expository thoughts on the Gospels uh, by J.C. Ryle, uh, selected sermons by George Whitfield, sermons and essays from the works of B.B. Warfield, The Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther, um, The Doctrine of Justification, an outline of its history in the church and its exposition from Scripture by James Buchanan, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ by John Owen, The Inspiration and Authority of the Bible by B.B. Warfield, Reform Creeds and Supplement resources, uh, the economy of the covenants between uh, God and me. I can go on and on and on and on and on. There's 900. They're free. Don't even get me started with the chapel library. They've got an app. I don't, there are thousands of things they've got. There. I mean, I could just go on. Like literally, I could name resources until I was tired of naming resources. All right, let's finish. And I think there's so many churches in America, they don't all have to be the same thing. You know, they can they can try to kind of cater to different people groups. And, and the, you know, Coldplay and TED Talk is, is is not bad, but you also need, you know, Coldplay and Tim Keller, right, with a little bit of more, you know, meat on the bones, a little bit deeper dive in these issues. So I think pastors don't – you all don't need to herd towards one lane. There's many lanes out there, and there's many de-churched people out there, 40 million. They all – it's not one size fits all, and every church needs to try a different strategy to re- – well, I do agree. This is, now we find some agreement. All churches shouldn't be the same. I've been saying that my whole life because that, that was my, the very first words I said on the very first, I think, sermon I preached or, or after the, I think it was the very first Sunday night. I stood behind the pulpit after becoming the pastor and I said, listen, guys, let me just let you know, this church will not be like any other church around us. This is not going to be fun, food and fellowship. This is not going to be activities. This is going to be preaching, teaching, doctrine, theology and church history. We're not going to be like anybody else. If you want to be like anybody else, the door is not locked. Please go. Go to wherever you want to go. Please go. Go find what you want. But you you guys wanted to start a church. Well, we're not going to start a church in a place where there's 200 and something churches in like a 20-mile radius. There's a church on top of a church everywhere you look. Okay, we're in the middle of nowhere. And even in the middle of nowhere, there's churches nearby. We're not going to be like anyone. When someone drives past this church, I don't want them to ever think, wow. Why is that church there? There's another one right down the road because we're not like any other church within a thousand mile, within a 20,000 mile radius of us. So I do agree. All churches shouldn't be the same. I do know when you're not like all the other churches, people leave to go to the other churches. They said they never wanted in the first place because everyone was like, amen, we're sick of the way churches operate. And then within six months, I'd lost 50% of my congregation to go to the other churches. (laughs) <laughs> that were already there before they started this one. It was insane. Okay, then we grew, and then, well, we went back down. Yeah, we, so we've got these roller coasters. But what I have found is a lot of people who show up going, I don't want church like all the other churches. They ultimately do. Because you know why all those churches tend to be the same? Because they found the template that works. All the churches would not look the same, sound the same, if it didn't work, you you can try to make it all spiritual. They they do that because they know that's what they have to do to maintain the numbers. They don't maintain the numbers. They can't pay for the building and the pastor doesn't get a salary and then everything goes to trash. Reach this group because it does seem like they'd be effective if they tried a different track. That's helpful. All right. So let's let's keep this moving. All right. We'll stop right there. Yeah, he says he thinks it'll be successful if you tried it differently. Yeah, I don't know. You No matter how different you, you try to make it on the surface, when you get down to the bare bones of it, it's going to look like every other church. I've seen that over and over and over and over again. All right, we're going to stop at 30 minutes, 56 seconds. All right. Now, please go look up their podcast. As in heaven from the Gospel Coalition. Subscribe to it. Listen to all of their discussions about de-churched. I, obviously, you hear me, you hear my frustrations with it. And remember, I told you, we can agree on what the statistics say. 
We may not agree on how to interpret this or what to do with those statistics or, or, or how we should we address it. We can agree that this is what the numbers say. What to do with those numbers is going to be wild disagreements. And obviously, I have strong disagreements with what, what they're claiming. Hey, there's 8 million people of the evangelicals who are de-churched, right? And these people are cultural Christians. They're probably not even saved. So what do we need to do to reach them? Well, we got to give them social formation and friends. Oh, and then we supposedly give them doctrine because they're starving for doctrine and theology. They don't even believe Jesus is the son of God for crying out loud. Okay, but that, but they need that because I they, they couldn't find it anywhere. They left the church because they couldn't find any good doctrine or theology. These are cultural Christians. Sounds like they didn't even have faith in Christ in the first place. So I don't know if I can blame the church for if the church would have fed them spiritually, they would have stayed. If you're a cultural Christian and you get rid of all the fun, food, and activity and you just give them doctrine, and theology, watch them leave faster than you can imagine. When you take away everything from people other than just scripture, you'll be shocked how fast they'll leave the church. You'll be shocked. All right. Wow. Okay. Thank you very much for this nice, calm episode of today's focus. We have talked about in a very calm and cool and collective way the issue of the dechurching that is currently happening. We're currently witnessing the greatest religious shift in U.S. history. And I feel that it's nothing to get excited about, that we should just be calm, cool, and cl- Okay, I'm, I'm being a little sarcastic. Yes, I have strong feelings about some of this. Now you can tell me where I'm wrong. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Remember, look up the book, The Great Dechurching. It comes out in the next couple of months. Get a copy. Know the statistics. You may disagree strongly with my, like my perspective on the statistics, but well, that'll be the fun part. So there you have it. If you have any questions, thoughts, or observations, email them to me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a calm, cool, and collective day because you really need to be more like me. Yes, that's a joke.